Hi, Gary Zacharias again with the Apologist Bookshelf. This time I'd like to look at a reference book. It's called A General Introduction to the Bible. Geisler and Nix are the authors. Of course, you know Norm Geisler. He's done so many things. Uh, I didn't know William Nix. Uh, he's an editorial and educational consultant based in Dallas, Texas. So this book is actually a revised and expanded edition of their previous book. And it covers four basic areas of the Bible. Inspiration, that's who wrote the Bible. Canonization, which books were chosen and which books belong in the Bible. How were they chosen? Transmission, that's has it been preserved and how, especially the accuracy. And then finally, translation, has it been translated well. Now, this is a new, updated, and I say new, it's in the 1980s, so obviously it's a, a little older, but this was an updated version of it with some new charts and uh, new sections that they've added. So even though it's an older book, it's so rich, it's so good, it's got such great information that I think it'd be worthwhile if, if you could scout around and find one used someplace. It might be uh, worth your time. I'm going to take the section here that talks about the Apocrypha. So let's, let's uh, see what we've what they've found and what they know about the Apocrypha. I thought it was pretty interesting information. So the very name itself uh, describes something hard to understand or hidden. Okay, so something hidden. And there's a, a real clash, of course, about how to interpret the Apocrypha and what, whether the book should be on par with the other canonized parts of the uh, Old Testament and all. So it's called hidden. That, that could be in a good sense, couldn't it? Were they hidden to be preserved? And, and maybe it's they're deep and spiritual, so it was hidden that way. Or maybe hidden is used in a bad sense. The books are of doubtful authenticity. They're, they're spurious. So he says you need to, they say you need to really take a look and uh, decide for yourself. But I think it's pretty obvious, and they come to a pretty obvious conclusion, that these should not be uh, put on a par with the other books of the Bible. So the confusion, they said, comes about because there are actually two traditions of the Old Testament. I wasn't aware of this. There's the Palestinian canon. That was 39 books in English, 22 in Hebrew, but 39 books in English. And then there's an Alexandrian canon that had an additional 14 to 15 books in its collection. And the Palestinian one, the one that we look at today, that arose in Palestine, was recognized by the Jews. The Alexandrian one is the Greek listing of Old Testament books, and it supposedly came out in Alexandria, Egypt, when the Hebrew scriptures were being translated into Greek, Greek Septuagint, about 250 B.C. Okay, so that's where these apocryphal books popped up. So here's what people say. The ones that say, let's go for the Alexandrian, the ones that include this apocryphal set of books. And they say things like, well, it's good because the New Testament reflects many of the thoughts of the Apocrypha. Or some of the early church fathers quoted and used the Apocrypha as scripture. So seems reasonable to count it as part of our canon. Some of the early church fathers accepted all the books of the Apocrypha. For example, Irenaeus, Tertullian, Clement of Alexandria, how about this? Augustine and the councils that he influenced at Hippo and presided over at Carthage accepted them. Here's another uh, 
point that people bring up in favor of the Apocrypha, the Roman Catholic Church proclaimed them canonical at the Council of Trent in the 1500s. The Apocryphal books were in the Protestant Bibles as late as the 19th century. So here are all the reasons. They even have more reasons. I'm just kind of hustling past some of those, but those are some of the reasons that Geisler and Nix say people who defend these apocryphal books as being on a par with uh, the, the ones that we think of today as canonical. So there, that's one side of the argument. And this is a really key reason that I enjoy going through some of Geisler's work. He's In many of his books, he will tell you what the other side says, and then he will ch- attempt to refute or challenge those positions. That's what they're going to do here. So after laying out some of the arguments in favor of the apocryphal books and counting them as uh, on a par with the canonical books, now the next section of their book says arguments against accepting these books. And this is a part that I wanted to slow down and take a look at because I thought this was interesting. Again, there's way more information than I'm going to go uh, over here, but at least it gives you something to think about. So, for example... There are New Testament allusions to the Apocrypha, but there are no clear New Testament quotations from it. In other words, you can't find a quotation. You you find a hint. And it says the New Testament never refers to any of these apocryphal books. That's the 14 or 15 books. They never refer to them as authoritative or canonical. Never. All right, so there may be an allusion, but there's not a a flat-out statement that they're authoritative. Number two, here's another argument against accepting them. It's not certain that the Greek Old Testament Septuagint uh, of the first century contained the Apocrypha. Oh, that's interesting. So it did not have the Apocrypha. Jesus and the apostles implied how they saw them by never quoting them. Isn't that interesting? So you never hear Jesus or the apostles saying anything about the Apocryphal books. Well, what about citations of the church fathers? He says, well, you've got to be very careful. He said, um, said, most of them do not give an indication that the book is re- regarded as scriptural, even if a church father references. So just because they say something about it doesn't mean that they found it to be on par with the other books. Okay, what about some individuals of the early church that had a high esteem for it? Yes, no doubt. But... No council of the entire church during the first four centuries favored these books. In fact, there were a lot of them that were strongly opposed to them. Athanasius, Cyril of Jerusalem, Origen, Jerome. Okay, here's another reference to why we should not put these on par. They said, yes, it's true. Augustine is the single significant voice of those ancient times that did recognize the Apocrypha. But they give you some reasons why... His opinion was unfounded. For example, his contemporary at that time, Jerome, who was a greater biblical authority than Augustine, rejected the Apocrypha. Augustine himself recognized that the Jews rejected these books. Also, his acceptance of the Apocrypha, at least in these authors' opinions, seems to be connected with his mistaken belief in the inspiration of the Septuagint that had them. Okay, so these are reasons that they're saying, no... We don't think the Apocrypha counts as as these other canonical books. Here's another argument against it. The Council of Trent. Well, yes, it's true. That was the Roman Catholic Church making an official proclamation about the Apocrypha. That's true. But it came 1,500 years after the books were written. 
And why did it come about? Why, why would they proclaim it at that time? It was an attack against Protestantism. Okay, and it says these books, these apocryphal books, supported salvation by works and prayers for the dead and purgatory. That's suspect that all of a sudden they said, yeah, we need these books. They're canonical as well. So they don't buy into that as really honestly looking at the apocrypha is more like using it as a bludgeon to attack Protestant beliefs. Now, here's another argument. Apocryphal books did appear in Protestant Bibles prior to the Council of Trent, but they were placed in separate sections. They weren't considered to be of equal authority. All right, so it wasn't the same. They were not viewed as canonical by the Qumran community. So, for all of these arguments, they said for all of these arguments, and they have others, by the way, as I mentioned, I'm just not taking the time to go into them, but said all of those arguments in favor of the canonicity of the apocryphal books just prove that the books were given some esteem and some recognition, but they fell short of full canonicity until the Roman Catholic Church gave it a stamp. So it says the overwhelming arguments in favor of rejecting the Apocrypha. There, there are overwhelming evidence in their point, in their view. So now we've got the other side of the argument, which is <clears throat> should we be accepting the Palestinian canon? That's the shorter canon, the one that we have today. You open your Bible... That's the Palestinian canon for the Old Testament, the 39 books. He said, uh, these two authors say that was the canon of Jesus, Josephus, and Jerome. And he said, most qualified witnesses from before the time of Jesus to the present. So here are some of their reasons why we should accept the 39 that we have and no more. It said some of the additional books, so here's one of the points, some of the additional books have teaching that's unbiblical or heretical, like what? Prayers for the dead and salvation by works. And they tell you where that can be found. Then they, they show you what the Bible says against those two positions. Okay, some of the apocryphal stories, here's another reason they come up with. Some of the apocryphal stories are extra biblical and fanciful. There's something called Bell and the Dragon, the story. And it seems to be very um, unauthentic at all. Much of the teaching the Apocrypha is sub-biblical, they say, and actually immoral. Judith, for example, was allegedly assisted by God in a deed of falsehood, and both Ecclesiasticus and Wisdom, these are some more apocryphal books, teach a morality that's based on expedience. And they have historical and chronological errors. I won't go into the details there, but they have errors. Most of these Old Testament apocryphal books are written in Judaism's post-biblical intertestamental period. So that's a mouthful. But what, what are they saying there? That the Talmud, for example, says that after Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi, the Holy Spirit departed from Israel. And again and again, noted Jews of that time said there was no uh, Holy Spirit, there was no inspiration, that the Holy Spirit had gone. And so... Uh, they, they're not considered inspired. So, with the exception, they said, of maybe Second Esdras, all of those books are post-biblical for Judaism. They're written after the time that the prophetic spirit had departed from Israel. All right, and then finally, they said, all of the books of the Apocrypha are, not, are non-biblical or uncanonical because none of them were accepted by the people of God, as the canonical books were. 
Now, what are the qualifications? How do you know a book is canonical? Well, it's got to satisfy the tests. Like, was it written by a prophet of God? There's no proof that these were. Was this writer confirmed by an act of God? No. Did it have the power of God? There's nothing transforming about these books. Did it tell the truth about God and man? No, there are contradictions and errors. Was it accepted by the people of God? No. So for those five reasons, those are really good questions, by the way, aren't they? Ways to judge canonical books. Let me go through them again real quickly because I think it's really important. Was it written by a prophet of God, somebody speaking for God? Was its writer confirmed by an act of God? Did it have the power of God? Did it change people? Did it tell the truth about God and man? Was it accepted by the people of God? So these are really good ways to judge uh, canonicity, which of course then would make more recent books, like the Book of Mormon, uh, it will fail in those ways as well. Well, testimony of antiquity against accepting the Apocrypha, they have a section on that. Josephus, Jesus, the New Testament writers, the Jewish scholars of Jamnia, these are individuals that never recognized the Apocrypha. No canon or Council of the Christian Church recognized the Apocrypha as inspired for nearly four centuries. Many of the early church fathers spoke out against it. Jerome, that great scholar, rejected it as part of it. And on and on and on, Luther and the Reformers rejected it. And so we've got some good information here. I hope you find this helpful. That For some people, there's something devotional and, and they've gotten something useful out of it. And it does have some historical value. I would suggest the, the story of the Maccabees is fascinating. If you read the Apocrypha at all, that is amazing. So it does have some historical value, but it's, it shouldn't even have a semi-canonical status. It said uh, it's clearly not part of the theological canon. And that's what you want to use for your faith. That's what you want to use for practice as Christians. And so uh, I agree with them. I think there are a lot of reasons to reject the Apocrypha. But uh, take a look at it sometime. And I think if you read through them, you'll find that um, you would agree with Geisler and Nix. So again, this was a general introduction to the Bible. Uh, pretty heavy reading, uh, pretty thick going, but good information. Really a solid piece of work. So that's something you might want to check out sometime. Thanks for listening, and let's do uh, another podcast soon.